pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the testimonies that we've already seen today that have declared that you are everything. We thank you for their, their contrite hearts and their willingness to display that they were once their own, but now they're in you, dead to self, alive to you. We thank you for the worship that we've had this morning, declaring you, Jesus, as everything. Lord, we pray now that as we look in your word that you would speak to us. Lord, we believe that your word is true. Lord, we need it increasingly in our lives. So Lord, would you anoint my lips in preaching it today. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, turn with me to Titus 2. 11 through 15, that's where we'll be reading from today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you, underneath the seat ahead of you. It'll also be on the screens. We're going to do something a little different today, so just to prepare you, you know, not everybody likes change. And so uh, uh, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to stand to read God's Word in a moment. Um, but before we do, I just, uh, before we read it, I, I wanted to give you an update. And so a few... Uh, a little over a month ago, we, we uh, made an announcement that we're beginning our search for a worship pastor here at North Canton Chapel, and so just so you know where we're at in that, we've received uh, I, I, lots and lots of resumes, and that says two things. One, um, this is a desirable place to be, um, which is encouraging for us. Um, if you don't get a resume, that's a bad thing for a church, just so you know. Um, and the other thing is, um, it makes us aware that we need to be prayerful. And so I, I know you will, and I ask you to commit yourselves to prayer, that as we go through all of this process, that God will speak to us and clearly bring a team member on that will work with all of us in the days to come. And so, if you will, let's stand together in reading of God's word this morning. Titus 2, 11 through 15, reads, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Lord, will you honor the reading of your word today? Would you speak to us and help us to understand it more, more, more intently? As I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So this morning, we're going to do something, again, a little bit different. So I'm going to need some help today. And, uh, and so how I'm going to need some help is there's this thing in church. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody do it. I, I, went, to the, I went to seminary in the South. And the first time I was like in a, in a chapel, all of a sudden, the student behind me was like, amen. And I was like, dang, man, what is happening? We don't do that in the Midwest. You're going to scare somebody. But then I was down there long enough, I kind of like it, right? Because it's like, oh, they're not asleep. They're with me, right? And so amen works like this. Amen is like, it's like saying right on, right? It's like saying, yep, 
yep, I can get, I can get down with that, right? That's what I'm saying. It's like saying you could be like, word, right? Like you could say that. That's like an agreement, like, yeah, I got that. So I don't care what you say, but if you agree, just say something like, amen, I agree. I can get down with that, right on. 10-4, good buddy, right? Like that's what we say, right? That's, that's what amen, like I'm, I'm just parsing the Greek of amen there, okay? So that's what it means in common language. And so, so I'm going to ask some questions, and if you, if you agree, just respond appropriately to how you agree. Do you believe that God never lies? Do, do you believe that he will come through on his promises? Come on, somebody give me an I can get down with that or something, right? <laughs> Did God tell us that it was going to be hard? Did, did he promise that things were going to come to a place in our lives where we were going to have a lot of pressure upon us? Did he tell us this? All right. Did, did he command us to persevere, to never give up, to keep on fighting, to always keep believing, to never lose focus, to keep on standing? All right. So, so if we're going to make it, We've got to believe what he said is true, and we've got to live it out. There's this thing, I saw it, I, like, I think somebody listened to my sermon before I preached it, because I was watching football yesterday, and I saw a coach, and on, on his shirt it said, got grit. It was, I don't know, and so I was like, I'm going to talk about grit today, and I don't know why that's on there, so I guess it's really popular right now to talk about grit. So, so grit, right, grit is passion and perseverance, so some of you who are, like, new to the word grit, like, or maybe, like, you know, like, this is a cool word to say right now. Grit's an old word, right? John Wayne had a, had a movie called True Grit, right? I may have done a butch report on it, and I watched the movie as a kid. So, um, just saying, that might have happened. And so, so, so grit is passion and perseverance. These two things combine, passion and perseverance, or what makes up grit. A person that really has grit in life is a person that's, that's passionate, that perseveres, who makes it through. So there's this issue that we face, and I know all of you said amen to what I said, that you believe that God never lies, that you believe that he comes through on his promises, but, but have you ever questioned that? I mean, honestly. Have you ever gone through a struggle or a trial where you begin to question, like, I don't know if he does. Because my son died way too young. Life didn't turn out like I wanted to. My, my marriage, it didn't turn out to what I wanted it to be. My kids, my life, right? these things in life, I don't know if you know this, but this pathway that we're walking down as Christians, it's not super easy. We've seen it this week. I mean, our world is really broken. And we experience it all the time. And I'm just here to tell you what the Bible already says. It's going to take some grit to walk down this road. Because it isn't easy. And it's going to take a lot of passion and a lot of perseverance to get through it. Because what happens is somewhere in our lives, what we do with passion is we say, uh, I don't know. I just don't know how much more passion I can give to this. And with perseverance, we go, this is really hard. I don't know if I can keep on. 
See, now with passion and perseverance, Jesus, he is the passionate one. He is the persevering one. Jesus is the man who had complete grit inside of him, that nothing held him back, that nothing got in his way. He achieved what he achieved, and he did it for us. He was, he was crucified, and he died for us on a cross because of his grit, his passion, and his perseverance for you and I to be redeemed and set right with God. Why? Because he loved God and he loved us. He had passion. He had perseverance. He knew the end in which he was working to, and he moved hard and fast toward it. But what we do is we lose our love, and we lose our passion, and we stop persevering because we give up. Now, giving up might be, and you may be here this morning where you've just given up. Like, you do the church thing, but you're like, I've really kind of given up on God in my heart. I'm not here to judge you this morning. I hope it restores you this morning. You might be in a place today where you haven't thrown your hands up, but you've just kind of dismissed it because somewhere in life, this thing got really hard for you. And by the way, it does for everybody. And you've just kind of said, reading my Bible and praying and seeking after him and living for him, like, I, I just don't hear from him, and I feel guilty about this, and so I'm just, I'm just not going to persevere in this anymore. I'm going to do, like, that Sunday morning thing. I'm going to, like, kind of do some other things, but I've just given up on moving forward. But I'm here to encourage you this morning in this. You don't have to give up. Like, this life that Jesus has called us to and this pathway that he's called us down, there's nothing more noble. There's nothing better. There's nothing more healing. There's nothing... There's nothing more worthy in our lives to run down. And I'm just here to tell you, don't let this world by kind of mistruth beat you up in it. Because God never lies. And God always keeps his promises. And he told us this was going to be hard. And he told us that it was going to be rocky. And he told us there was going to be valleys. And he told us there was going to be mountains. And he told us all of these things. And so when they come, let's not second guess him. But let's keep on persevering. Let's keep on with our passion. Let's keep on having grit because the one that we follow has grit. And so in this text where we find ourselves, and just so you know, this is probably like one of my most favorite texts in the Bible. Um, and the reason it's one of my most favorite texts is because it is so clear about what it, God is calling us to in the Christian life. I, I don't know if there's another text that is so just so full of the, what has happened, what, what has been given to us, the motive behind how then we live and then what God is wanting to do in our lives and what he's wanting us to focus on and how he's asking us to do this until the end. And then one day he even tells us at the end, don't let anybody disregard you in this. And so even you're going to have haters coming at you and don't let them hate, right? So the text, let's, let's look at it together. So Titus 2.11, this is kind of the baseline to understand this passage. So he says, the grace of God has appeared meaning the person of Jesus has come. The grace of God has come. Grace is available. And what, what the baseline of this kind of grace idea is, is I am needy. I need forgiveness. I need redemption. I need atonement. Anybody with me this morning? Amen? Like, I need grace. Does anybody need grace in the room today? Like, we need grace in our lives. We need Jesus Christ. And if we ever stop realizing that I have not achieved this on my own, this is something I can't get on my own, that there is a righteousness that is not mine that I need, that is grace. And there's not this kind of, like, I come to faith in Jesus, and then 
Then I come to this other place where, like, I, I don't really need him anymore. Like, I always need grace. It never stops. And if we ever lose the posture of grace, we lose the baseline of Christianity. And when we lose, the, when we lose our need for grace, what we will become is fill in the blank. Arrogant, self-righteous, prideful. Grace, this is the baseline, that the grace of God has appeared. Jesus has come. Grace is now what? What's it doing? Grace has appeared, bringing. There's something coming with this grace, and the person of Jesus has come, bringing salvation, right? That now we can be in right standing with God. I can be saved from my sin, the penalty of it, the power of it. I can be saved from it, and I can be set right with God. So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for me, and who else? For all people. The grace of God is now available for all people. And so notice that word in there. Is God for you or against you? For. Right? God is for us. And so if you came in today thinking that God isn't for you, I'm just here to tell you that he is for you. And the way I can, I, I just can like really concisely tell you why he is for you. I don't know anyone that's been for someone that would give their most precious possession for them. God gave Jesus for you that you might be in right standing with him. God is not against you. God is for you. Now, you might be against God, but God is not against you. He is for you. God may not be pleased with how you're living. You may not be honoring God right now with the posture of your life, but God is for you. And God wants to redeem you. He wants to change you. He wants to make you new. And so this text kind of, so the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I'm undeserving. I need grace. I've been helped. I'm needy. Right? This is, again, baseline. So, so we need help. We need grace. And so I said this, if you're following with me in the, the fill-ins on the back, it says, what Jesus has accomplished for us provides, provides in us a hunger to become more like him. So what Jesus has accomplished, he has done something I could not do on, on my own. And so because of what he's done, now I have a hunger, right? Uh, recognizing who I once was and now who I desire to be. I have a, a hunger in my life, right? Rejecting now the life of half-heartedness, kind of partially living my life for him, partially not. The life of half-heartedness and accepting a life of wholeheartedness in and for him. Giving all of myself, all of my life, the fullness of me to him that I might live for him and honor him and glorify him with my life. So, so then it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then, so this word is going to come that kind of fills in the blanks for the rest. There's a transition word in this text. So Jesus has come. Grace has come. So what? It says this word, training us. Now, training has this idea underneath it, is right, education. Instructions, it says it like this, instructions with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior. And so yesterday, my daughter Kinsley was in a, in a basketball clinic, and we were up at St. Vincent, St. Mary's, and there was all these girls there. Kinsley was in fifth grade. There was eighth graders there. Some of those eighth graders are crazy tall, right? And so, so they're all there, and there's this, the, the people that put on the clinic were incredible athletes, and they're, they're dribbling it behind, between their legs and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, she's in fifth grade. Why are you making her do this, right? Like, I mean, it was really intense. And at the end of it, she said, there's not one girl that plays Division I basketball that doesn't spend a ton of time in the gym. And she goes, the key to being a good basketball player is getting in the gym and doing it. 
This is the idea of the Christian life. It's this training. It's not just this decision I make, right? The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Okay, now I come to Jesus, but now if I'm going to walk down this road, if I'm going to have grit, I've got to get after this. I've got to get in the gym. I've got to work in it. I've got to get in the word. I've got I've to pray. I've got to push myself into Jesus because if I don't, I'm not going to be able to live this out. I need him, and I need to show my neediness by pressing myself into him. Right? If I don't press myself into him, I'm showing I'm not needy, but I'm independent. I'm good. I'm fine without him. So in this, just Jesus is disciplining our hearts for something better, something more, something noble, something true at the deepest level of what we need. So the first thing, if you're following with us here, reject. The text calls us to reject. It says renounce, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So reject the things that don't honor the one I love. The text calls us to reject the things that don't honor the one I love. So renouncing ungodliness is really the same word for godlessness. Renouncing ungodliness is these places in my life where I am godless, where I'm my own director, my my own guide in my life. Worldly passions, these lusts, strong desires, temporary pleasures that I push my life into. And I say no to these. And these things come up in really maybe three categories. In my thoughts, in my words, and my actions. My thoughts, my words, my actions. He's saying reject the things that don't honor the one I love. Renounce ungodliness, worldly passions. Know to them in my thoughts, words, and actions. See, our intuition isn't enough. It's not enough just to kind of walk through life thinking that I have a really good common sense guide. Because as good of a common sense guide as any of us have, it's not enough to reject ungodliness. We need, we need to press ourselves in and, and truly and genuinely reject things in our life. And really the idea of this, reject the things that don't honor the one, renounce ungodliness and worldly passions has an idea of really our life becoming more thoughtful unto Christ, the one that the grace of God appeared bringing salvation for. And so it works like this. Now, if you ever were a child, you have ch- children, you've been around children, this is how kids work. Pretty sure this is, this is true. I have a bunch of them. <clears throat> so today, it will happen at some point. Maybe we'll be outside, and I'll be like, hey, it's time to go in. We, we're going to the picnic this afternoon. And so I'll call the kids in, and one of the children will say, I don't want to come inside. Right? Or we'll be eating supper, and we'll have the food on the plate, and one of my children will say, I don't want to eat that. Or this other thing, this, this crazy, mysterious thing for children called bedtime. <laughs> right? Like, oh, what is this new thing you created, mom and dad? We've never gone to bed ever before. Why would you send us to bed tonight? I'm like, seriously, we do this like every day of your stinking <laughs> life. And you're surprised by it still. But what do they say when, when it's bedtime? I don't want to. I don't want to. Now, the difference between adults and children is this. When they say, I don't want to, I say, you're going to, right? <laughs> you're going to come inside. You're going to go to bed. I'm going to put you in a sleeper hold to make sure you go to bed, right? <laughs> Just kidding to all you literalists that think I put my kids to bed. I would never do that. I love my children deeply. So, just so you know. So, <clears throat> so they do that. So, but us adults, we're, we don't do that, right? Like, we're, we're far more mature than children, we don't say, I don't want to, and I'm not going to, right? We don't, we don't do that. 
So, guys, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let the ladies in on something with us. So how it works for us with the I don't want to and I'm not going to is I have, five, I have five women in my house. And there are times when I'm watching, say, the tribe. And all of a sudden, somebody asks me a question. I have this wonderful thing called, like, I can't hear very good, right? I just, and I just keep watching. And if you don't pay attention long enough, like, they don't ask you anymore. And then, like, they just move on. And so that is my, I don't want to, I'm not going to, right? It's silence. Now, I'm not a lady. I don't know ladies very well, but I know you're sneaky, and I know you do it, too. And you're far, you're a little bit smarter than us, so you're probably way better at those types of things than we are. We all do it. We all say these, I don't want to, I'm not going to kind of things in our life. If, if we just kind of reverse this, this is what this whole principle in this text is. It's coming to a place in my life of saying, I don't want to sin anymore. I, I don't want it. I don't want to dishonor Jesus anymore with my life. I once did that. I don't want it anymore. I, I know the pain of dishonoring him. I felt the pain when I gave my life to him. I felt the pain of every nail, every whipping, everything on him. I felt it, and I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to sin. But it's not enough just to say, I don't want to. What this text is saying is that we have to get to a place where we say, I'm not going to. I don't want to sin. I don't want to dishonor the one I love. And I'm not going to dishonor the one I love because he means more to me than me running around doing what I want, living in my worldly passions, living in ungodliness. But, but I want to be godly. I want to reject the things that don't honor him. I, I don't want to do this, and I'm not going to do it anymore. It's a transition in our life of, of just being tossed to and fro in our half-heartedness. And saying somewhere, I'm going to be wholehearted in my devotion to the Lord. And I'm going to come to a place where I say, I don't want it and I'm not going to anymore. The second thing that we see in the text is it, it, it's a call. It's a call to accept a life that is formed by Christ. It's a call in our life, not to just to reject, I don't want to and I'm not going to. And the I'm not going to kind of plays itself in, out in this, that I'm going to accept something different from my life. I'm going to accept a life that is formed by Christ. So here's a question. Now, are you cool if I ask you a really hard question? All right. Are you, are you okay with that? It might hurt a little bit. Okay. Is that cool? All right. Some of you who don't like your toes stepped on, I'm, I'm about to do it. I just want you to know, like, I'm about to stomp on your toe. It's going to hurt a little bit. Maybe. Might. Who formed you? I mean, really. Like, the way you do the things you do, who shaped that? Your parents? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Society? But, but really for you, like, what does it look like in the day-to-day? -day? Is it Jesus? Or is it, you know, for me... I, my idea, I shared this with Men's Pratt a few weeks ago, my idea of masculinity was a, was a big old farmer with bib overalls on, my grandpa. He had key overalls, he had clean ones he wore to, wore to nice things, and he had dirty ones he wore every day, right? He had a shirt that was, you know, then it was all the same. It's just the newer shirt probably he wore to nicer things. He wore a dirty hat to work in and a clean hat when he went to nice things. I mean, the nicest event he ever went to was probably... I don't know, at a lodge somewhere, right? 
And this idea of masculinity formed how I thought of manhood. But Bill Johnson is a terrible man to shape how I see masculinity. Because only Jesus is worthy of shaping that in my mind, in my heart, in my life. Because he was a true man. There's no other man that was ever like him. There's no one that was ever like him. And what this text is saying that we're, we're, we need to accept, we need to accept a life formed by Jesus. Have you ever said, Jesus, form my life? Shape my actions, shape my words, shape my thoughts, shape me. I want to look like you. That's what this is called, making him our Lord. It's saying, I don't want to be the boss of my life, the master of my life. I don't want my words to be what my intuition tells me to say next. I want my words to be your very own words. I want my thoughts to be your thoughts. I want my actions to be your actions. I want to be formed by you, Jesus. So it says, to accept a life that is formed by Christ. Live self-controlled, meaning sensible, right-minded, lives toward Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Upright lives, lives above reproach, living justly in a way that cannot be condemned by others, living in love and care and compassion, upright according to the ways of God in this world. And it says in this section, the self-controlled upright lives when? In this present age, meaning today, in the time in which we find ourselves, allowing Jesus to be the one who shapes and forms how we live in the current day and time, the evil world that has always had hostility and rebellion and always will have hostility and rebellion. A.W. Tozer, in a classic book he wrote called The Pursuit of God, wrote this. Every age has its own characteristics. And he wrote this in 1949, by the way. Every age has its own characteristics. Right now, we are in an age of religious complexity. The simplicity which is in Christ is rarely found among us in its stead are programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention but can never satisfy the longing of the heart. The shallowness of our inner experience and the hollowness of our worship and that servile imitation of the world which marks our promotional methods all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and the peace of God scarcely at all. It's funny when you read A.W. Tozer, it's like, are you sure he didn't write that this year? Right? Like, it seems like that's 2017. Our lives are so complex and so busy, but what it calls us to, in the present day, in the age in which we live, the time in which we live. Now, this time that we live is, is super complex. We prayed about it already this morning. That we had mass shootings, hurricanes, riots, and I don't know if you, but it just is like, sometimes when you watch the news, it's just, it's like, it's almost overwhelming to take it all in, all the things that are happening. And then the media, right? It's like, what in the world is true? I don't know what fake news is, and I don't know what fake news is. And, like, and it's really hard to see. And it doesn't matter which vein of media. And what happens is I, I find myself watching media, and I'm like, oh, I'm angry. This guy's angry. I'm getting angry. And now all of a sudden this newscaster is forming me, not Jesus, because anger is now inside me because everybody's angry, and anger just goes up. Anybody with me? And what do we do with all of this? In the present age, we must, must, must be shaped by the Savior. Not, not our parents, not society, not media, not, not Bill Johnston, not, not any, Jesus, the compassionate one. 
the loving one, the caring one, the one full of truth, the one full of grace, Jesus, the perfect man, our Savior, the righteous one, setting our eyes on him above everything else, focusing our lives on him. Which brings us to our third, focus. We must reject, like sin, say no, I don't want to, and then say accept, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live a life that is formed by Christ. And then this kind of underpinnings of it comes in verse 13. You see, it says it like this, waiting, right, now now waiting for our blessed hope, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we focus, we set our eyes on what matters most, waiting for our blessed hope. We're waiting and we're hoping, and this is the posture of our life, knowing that Jesus is going to come in the appearing, in, in the appearing of the glory, right? The glory, the idea of glory is this, this idea of weightiness. If Jesus were to show up in this room, if God were to come into this room, what would we do instantaneously? We would fall down, right? Because the weight of his glory, we, we couldn't even keep our gravity anymore, when angels appeared before people in the Bible, what we see, they, they fall because the weightiness of his presence is more than the, that we can handle. And so he says, we're waiting and hoping for the appearing of his glory that we literally fall down before him, that, that there's nothing more weighty than him. We're not waiting for him to come, but he has come. And we know that he's here and our focus is on him. And so we live life in a posture of, of knowing who is the glorious one, bowing our lives, waiting Right, for our blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, that says that Jesus is God. Right? There's one definite article in the Greek, the waiting of our, and the waiting of, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They are one. Jesus is God. Who gave himself, right? He had a posture of sacrifice for us, gave himself to redeem us. This is his atonement. He redeemed us from the power of sin, that it no longer has to entangle me in the penalty of sin, that no longer I have to pay for my sins, but it has been paid for on my behalf. So this text, what it's saying is that in this, so our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from the penalty of sin, it, it, it resembles Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That we focus, we set our eyes on Jesus, the one who ransomed his life for us. We set our eyes on him. We're waiting and hoping, living for him. And so we reject, we accept, we focus. And then last, we make. This is more of a prayer. God, make me. Transform me from my new identity to be passionate for your glory. So it says in the text that he would redeem us from all lawlessness, that we would no longer break the law of God, that we would no longer disregard God, that we no longer live for our own purposes, but he would have meaning for us, that we would want to honor him and obey him by what he has given us in his word, that we would reject lawlessness, that we would have purification of our lives, that we would be changed, sanctified, greater and greater into his image. Right? And he is purifying for himself a people for his own possession, meaning that he is purifying us, changing us. And so that looks like this when he looks down at the chapel in North Canton, that, that are we a people of his own possession, meaning that 
does he own us and does he lead us and does he guide us? Or do we own ourselves and lead ourselves and guide ourselves with trite little dreams and puny little ambitions? Or do we have these kind of ambitions collectively together that are big, like that every man, woman, and child in Stark County and beyond would have access to the gospel because the North Canton Chapel exists. That's huge, unachievable in and of ourselves, but it is a desire in the heart of God. Would he look down on us and say that, that I possess these people because they don't chase after their trite little opinions and their own little objectives, but they are going after something bigger and larger for my name and for my glory a people for his own possession, us collectively as a church being about him and his purposes and his dreams and what he desires. And so he looks at us as purifying himself for a people for his own possession. I love this word, who are zealous for. Right now, somebody asks you, what are you most passionate about? And the text says, who are zealous for good works. I don't think there's anything worthy of being passionate about. And I'm a passionate guy. I may have, I may have been doing chest bumps in the 13th inning, inning on Friday night. Just saying. Like, I may have. Tim Talley and I might have been hugging each other, jumping up and down. Like, I'm just, that might have happened. I'm passionate about things. But I hope my passion for sport, my passion for my opinion, my passion for whatever it is, is pale in comparison to my passion for good works in him. And I don't think I'm alone in saying that, that who are zealous. What does he want to make us? A people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're eager, longing. We have strong desire that he would focus us and make us something more and something greater for his name and his glory in our lives. So verse 15 concludes this, and it says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's really curious to me how he ends this little section of Scripture. Because he says that basically people are going to disregard you for this, but don't feel that way. Now, I say it like this. I stand in front of groups of people and talk about Jesus all the time. But I, I stand in front of groups where I can... I can tell you, I can tell within a second, that person, this group, they could care less about what I'm saying. Typically, that's maybe at a funeral, that's maybe at a wedding, where I proclaim the gospel in some way, and it's like, okay, preacher, get over with this, let's get to the cookies and the punch, right? Like, that's how that works. And so, I've, I've felt disregarded many times in my life because of where I stand, because I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe no one comes to the Father but through him. I believe that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I believe it trains us to reject ungodliness, worldly passions, to live righteous and holy lives in this present age. I believe this to be true. <clears throat> Church, I just challenge us with this. If people are just going to disregard you, let them disregard you about this, about Jesus. We have plenty of other things and the swell of culture that we can be disregarded about. And you can define that, whatever it is you're passionate about it. I can get in a fight with somebody about the Packers and Brian and I can fight about the Bears and Packers, right? Like, we can do that. It's not worthy of it. Like, if someone's going to disregard me, let, let it be about Jesus. Because that's the only thing worth being disregarded about. And that's the only thing worth battling over in life. So what this text calls us to is say, Focus, right? Focus. Re, 
uh, on the baseline, the grace that we've received. Reject, accept, focus, make yourself something more. And when you do this, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take grit. You're going to have to have passion and perseverance because the road is rocky. In life, it gets hard. And he told us to persevere, to never give up, to keep on fighting, to always be believing, never to lose focus, to keep on standing. Because he's a God who never lies. He's a God who keeps his promises. And he's a God that we can trust on this journey, on this pathway that he set us on in life. So life comes, new life comes from new hearts. But I believe, and I believe we share this, as Jesus is disciplining our hearts, he's giving us grit, passion, and perseverance to press on, to not let up, because he is the passionate one. He is the persevering one, and he lives in us. He's bought us by salvation, and might, might now he give us a passion and perseverance to reject sin, to accept a life formed by him, to focus on a future hope in him, and to make, might he make us increasingly passionate for his glory. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we believe that it is true. And Lord, we believe that you came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. We believe that in coming, you brought us, brought us grace in which we could not give ourselves. There's no achieving righteousness that we could do on our own, but you have achieved something for us in which we are so grateful. So Lord, would you lead us to a place in our lives where we reject where we genuinely and truly see you and what you've done, and we just simply say, I don't want to sin anymore. But not only do we say that, but we, might we say we're not going to. Might we accept a life that's self-controlled and upright, focusing our heart and our lives on you, waiting and hoping for the glorious one who redeemed us and gave himself for us. Lord, might you make us into something more, a people of your own possession, zealous for good works, for your name, for your renown, for your fame. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. And now today as we respond, Lord, the person that doesn't know you, I pray today, Lord, that you would give them the, the strength to repent of their sins, to agree with you that they have dishonored you and disobeyed you and lived in rebellion and turn in faith today and just simply say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want you to be my Lord. Lord, today, would you save them by your grace and help them to, from this day forward to live by faith? Lord, for the person who's trusted you, who's, on, who's following you, who's, who's become jaded, who's given up, who's lost their passion, Lord, restore it this morning. For all of us today, Lord, would you help us as we sing this song to truly declare that, Jesus, you're better than anything else and anything else that we've exalted better, help us to lay it down. And so, Lord, help us to respond appropriately as we sing this song. Lord, we love you and ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to sing. And these altars are open for you to come and respond as God leads you this morning.